you don't want that card, then you could probably just throw down another feud. He's not likely to take it, but he might. If you throw it, it'll be a feudal system. Cool. Is it going to be feudal for Mike? <laughs> it's an exercise in feudility. <laughs> feudality. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, sharp minds and steady hands prevail as we outmaneuver our opponents in flanks. Next up, we brilliantly negotiate or resort to the sword to bring our kingdom glory in Game of Crowns. And lastly, we heed the casting call to martial arts movie making in Kung Fu Samurai on Giant Robot Island. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein, and the rumor is true. I once played an entire night of Dungeons and Dragons without eating a snack. I'm at Povolitis, and that rumor had given me the stun condition, and therefore incapacitated, so I can't take actions or reactions on my turn. Okay, let's assume that the phrase entire night represents only six hours. I'm, I'm Joe Unfried, considering the astronomical probability of a D&D session lasting for that long without near-constant snacking. Even with the conservative estimate of only 1,800 calories consumed per adventurer, Evan's premise is as fantastically optimistic as a run through the original Tomb of Horrors with no fatalities. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and I shoot magic missile into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, there is no way you went through an entire D&D game without snacking. It is impossible. Well, it, look, two things about that. It is a rumor. <laughs> but it, Celeste, it actually turns out to be true. It happened. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Evan today. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Celeste today. <laughs> and we want to talk about sharing. The act of sharing brings out warm feelings in people. I like sharing things, and sometimes I like it even more when people share things with me. And as the old saying goes, sharing is caring. Really good, Evan. I remember that from my preschool lesson. <laughs> <laughs> word for word. In this case, we want you to share us. Please share our podcast with as many folks as you can. There is a share option on all podcasters that can send a link to any of your contacts. Your listenership is vital to our growth and future expansion, so we are very grateful for helping us spread the word. And thanks again for listening and exploring the world of board games with us. Thanks, everyone. Now back to the games. Our first game up this week is Flanks, designed by Andreas Schleicher, who also has the artist credit. Producer, Dionysus Games in 2017, number of players, two. Ages 12 and up, runtime, one to five minutes. Okay, when we unearthed this game, what were your first thoughts? Mike? A strategy game where you don't take turns. Let the anxiety begin! <laughs> Evan? Any game that makes you engage in a stare-down to start the game immediately has redeeming value. Ed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like where is that spaghetti western theme song when you need it? And Joe? The gameplay seemed designed to create real tension in each face-off. It's like a duel. I'd hate to play this game against Andrew Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A fast-paced card race that starts with a showdown, has bright colors and bold shapes, and promises to be over in under five minutes? In the design room, did they have a picture of me on the wall labeled <laughs> target audience? <laughs> but first, let's not flank the rules. Evan, tell us how it's played. Flanks is a card game for two players. Each player is given their own deck of cards. One plays white, the other black. 
Both players attack and defend at the same time by placing square cards with shapes and colors on them. Placement must conform to specific rules. The goal of the game is to win by either building your cards out to the other end of the table, and the other way to win is by outflanking your opponent, hence the name flanks. Outflanking is done by placing cards fast enough to outmaneuver your opponent surrounding their cards with yours. Yeah. It's pretty simple. There's just a few specific rules as to how you can place them. What did you guys think of that? Yeah, it's uh, basically match the colors on one side, match the shape on the other. So you're trying to play two different types of um, math making. By the description of this game, I thought it was going to be a frenetic mess, sloppy placement, broken knuckles, trying to get your cards down in there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, the, I was worried about that, too. Yeah. yeah, because there's no turns. Everybody plays at once. But it's cool because each time somebody plays a card, it only leaves two openings of different places that you can put the next card in. And they're not usually the same spot as your opponent's options. However, you are often quite close to each other as you're trying to stop each other from flanking. Ooh, that's where the pressure builds. One of the rules is you have to be close to each other. Yeah, for adult play, it has to be close together. There's actually alternative rules for kids' play, and we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, the mechanics are not nearly as chaotic as the rules make them sound. Mm -hmm. And it's it's actually a very tricky balance to... Mm -hmm. Both watch your opponent, block your opponent, and play shapes. Yeah, you want to fly across the table as fast as you can, but you can't ignore defense because your opponent can just sneak around the side of you and cut you off, and that's the end of it. Uh, and the rules are really simple. I think you'll, you'll almost read them twice just to be sure that you didn't miss something. <laughs> yep. Keep going, Joe. Draw three new ones. And oh. 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 Hurry up. Oh. Yeah. 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 All right, all right. Woo. You block, you block, you block. I've never seen a game whose victory conditions can depend on the size of the table you're playing on. That's a good point. Yeah. It's very clever. The table itself is a component of the game. I don't know that I've ever played something like that before. Yeah. And online, I saw people playing on lots of different size tables. You know, if they play this uh, competitively, they play on these small tables. So the game is usually like one minute, uh, which is really neat. There's a great picture of the designer of this game who also has the art credit. Um, and I think that bears mentioning because the art is very important in this game, I think, even though it's very simple. It's very well done. I think it's clean and easy to understand what's important in a uh, frantic game like this. Well, because the art is the mechanics. It's entirely visual, the game. I yeah. kind of wish that the shapes were a little bit closer to the edge of the card, though. So I can kind of like match them up better in my head. It didn't make me get the answer I needed quick enough. Right. Because the shape doesn't touch, except for the circles, the interior shape, which is a rhombus or a trapezoid or something like that, does not touch the actual physical end of the card. Right. So you have to imagine it fitting. Right. Which, which, whereas the semicircles, the half circles you're trying to match out, those do touch the edges of the cards. They do. And, but I mean, because of the shape, they would never be able to make these things actually meet up edge to edge. Exactly. And you can see that the designer put a lot of thought into the shape, the color, and the size of these sure. cards. One of the other things about this, I've seen a lot of different versions of this game with different colored dots. Our colored dots were neon green and neon pink. If the colors had been more washed out or duller, Muted. it could yeah. have been more difficult for me. I've seen a red and blue set. I've seen a green and yellow set online. But I really like the neon pink and neon green, which seems to be the one that's being mass marketed in the United States today. 
There's a great picture of the designer uh, in his workshop with a massive layout of prototype cards oh, wow. uh, toasting his friend with a little drink. And I thought it was a very nice picture. It's on Board Game Geek under the designer's uh, profile. I thought it was kind of funny that uh, when Ed was about to play, he was either being lazy or unenthusiastic because he wanted to play across the corner of the table. It <laughs> <laughs> oh. was so funny. Yeah. He like, did yeah. not want to move. You have to play opposite each other, uh-huh. yes. you know, and Ed, Ed and I were going to play, but we were sitting kitty corner to each other and he didn't want to get up and move to the other end of the table. Uh-huh. He tried to angle his cards so that we played on a diagonal. Yeah, but one of the rules says that when your cards go over the edge of the table, the game ends and the person who gets over the edge wins. So mm-hmm. going at an angle would be kind of a mess, like the corner of the card. Did it go over the edge? Yeah, I was trying to make the edge of the table closer. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. You have to play perpendicular. Trying to use geometry yeah. to my advantage. <laughs> as lazy as he was, the first time we played, I got totally crushed by him. Oh, man. You got like two pieces on the table. Next thing I know, he has six cards surrounding me. I had two <laughs> cards placed. Yeah, and you don't have to fully surround somebody. You just need to get like behind their card because you're when you place pieces, they can only go either to the side or forward. Which is cool because the circles always go sideways and the shapes always go forward. That's right. You're constantly hugging the bigger picture. You can't just stretch one line of cards out into infinity. Right, and I think the other very important rule is uh, every card you place down must be adjacent to an opponent's card as well. At least diagonally touching, right. Now, that's the adult rules, but actually for kids, they have a separate set of rules where you have to match your shape and your color, but you don't have to touch your opponent's card. So you can just run a line straight across the board if you want to and wow. slap them down as fast so as you can. So they can go all the way across <laughs> the living room. Or, you know. yep. Yep. <laughs> or they could build far out to the right or left and then go up so they stay yeah. away from their opponent. But I think that's actually a really good, nice trim to the rules. And they even have a set of toddler rules. Oh, what? So it essentially becomes a shape-matching game at that point. So you play, instead of against opponents, you play parallel. So as many toddlers as you want can play at once. <laughs> You're given your set of cards, and all you have to do is match the shape ends to I'm each other. I'm trying to imagine a whole room full of toddlers playing this game. <laughs> Great for a, day, a daycare center, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah just give them this and deck they- of cards, they'll be fine. Yeah, their goal, <laughs> right. their goal is to get from one end of the table to the other with the shapes. Yeah. I like it. Get them gaming early. Yes. I approve. Oh, absolutely. No, I actually dreamed I was playing this game last night. <laughs> it was 1911 at a bar in Marrakesh. I think we were fighting the French. It was wild. Okay, explorers, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury flanks. Ed, how about you? It'll be a fast and fun game for about five minutes but don't expect much after its five minutes of fame erupts. I'd dig this up as an okay warm-up game, but it won't hold interest for more than, say, ten minutes. Think of it like a bag of Doritos with only one chip in it. And Joe, how about you? Here's why I'm digging this up. One look at the cards will make you terrified of the steepness of its learning curve, and watching just one competent playthrough between two other players will dispel those worries. Evan, how about you? It's quick and fun. It has some clever qualities that are apparent once you've tried it. So definitely dig it up. And Mike? I prefer turn-based strategy games to real-time strategies. And I think I got all I need out of this one-trick pony. So bury it. Yeah, I'm almost the opposite. So I <laughs> I love these real-time games. I absolutely love them. And even though I will likely always stink at this game. Shapes aren't your strategy. 
strongest. Thing. Yeah, shapes are not my thing. <laughs> but it is a delightfully manic and yet sharply organized game. This game works on all levels from the stare off at the beginning mm-hmm. to the irresistible and inevitable victory whoop at the end. Dig it up. This game is widely available. I think I got mine at Target. It runs about eight bucks and it is spelt Flanks, F L A N X. If you have thoughts about Flanks, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Game of Crowns, designed by Remo Consadori, published by Alderac Entertainment Group in 2015, number of players 4 to 9, ages 14 and up, runtime 45 minutes. Okay, when we brush the sands off this game, what were your first thoughts, Joe? The first thing I noticed about this game were the Ravens. I have an antipathy for Ravens. Maybe it's <laughs> my inner GRRM talking, but their presence always makes me feel gritty for some reason. <laughs> What's a GRRM? George R. R. Martin. Oh! <laughs> okay. And Evan? Send in the crowns. <laughs> Mike? I'm usually a pretty good negotiator in games like this, but Celeste loves to throw in a monkey wrench into my plans. <laughs> Let's see how this no. one plays out. Ed, how about you? In the game of crown, you either win or you, well, don't win. <laughs> As a lover of the fantasy genre, but not so much of Game of Thrones in particular, I was immediately suspicious of the similarly named game. But I won't summarily let it get buried under the drifts of coming winter. First, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Game of Crowns, you take control of one of the nine noble houses and start with a hand of ten cards and four ravens. On your turn, you may either A, offer a card for exchange, where other players must offer a card and may add ravens to present their offers as the best one, or B, Play a card to attack a player, where the other players will decide to help the attacker or the defender. In either case, it will take clever planning, skillful negotiation, and daring confrontations to gain dominance over your rivals. The player with the most victory points in their hand after three rounds seizes the crown. So, this is a strategy negotiation card game. We recently played another one, right? King's Struggle. And it was even had the similar setting of medieval world. So what did you guys think of this one? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, it did have the uh, the fantasy setting, if a little bit generic. And I, um, I, I believe I remember seeing ads in the vein of summer is coming. Or something <laughs> no like that. way. Yes. You are lying. Yes. <laughs> Wait, I have to look it up. Give me a yeah. second. <laughs> Our AEG tagline for announcing this game was "Summer is coming." Okay, no, thank way. you, Ed. Way. Oh my gosh! So, getting back to the game we're talking about, it looks like you can win with feuds or with three different combos: knights and princesses, ravens and castellans, or coinage and traders. No, there's no way you can win with feuds. <laughs> a feud or a knight extra, but you need to have something else. So, essentially, you're trying to gather a group of some of the specific cards. So you're trying to combo up a very simple synergy. One type of card will give you bonuses to your other types of cards, right? Yeah. Exactly. There's a force multiplier if you get uh, the princess with a bunch of knights, or if you get 
a bunch of ravens and have the castle in. Um, but the feud does not have that luxury. It's worth a single point per feud that you have in your hand, and it doesn't even have anything you can play it for for an ability. Yeah, and you only get points for that if you have more feuds than every other player. Did you actually mean that there's an insufficient number of feuds for you to actually win the game on them alone? Well, if you have a handful of feuds, if that's the only thing you got, you have 10 points. As soon as Evan saw the feud card, what did you liken it to, Ed? Oh, of course. That's the backseat driver in Eddie Cantor. Tell it to the judge. It mucks up your hand. Unlike comparing it to your hand of cards in Eddie Cantor's Tell It to the Judge, there's a component of this game that is essentially random in which you can play a coins card and just say, I'm going to randomly take a card out of your hand. Well, at that point, you might want to have a few extra feuds in your hand because you want, you're hoping that player is going to pull that out of your hand as opposed to something you really want to keep. Every time I didn't want to win a deal, I put feud out. So that's another issue when you have these cards that can randomly pull cards out of your hand, it kind of makes negotiating less um, impactful. Negotiating was already unimpactful because you didn't have currency <laughs> to negotiate with. You're right, Mike. That That's yeah. absolutely true. There wasn't enough to negotiate with. You only get four ravens and it doesn't seem like enough to me. You can't pass ravens around like currency, though. They only work in a fight to help somebody win a fight and the loser gets all the ravens. Or an enhancement to a to a bid, right? You can add ravens to a negotiation. And in uh, an optional rule, you can add ravens in negotiation. I was out of ravens almost instantly. You know, well, one fight, well, four well. ravens. <laughs> well, there was absolutely no reason for you to play all four ravens in that turn. <laughs> no, there was. Otherwise, between the two of you on the same side, uh, we could have lost. So it was either all or none. Yeah, but when you say we could have lost, you don't lose anything for losing and joining the person who's fighting. <laughs> right. That's another problem, right? That is a common complaint in the game uh -huh. is that uh, during a battle, the non-combatants don't have any incentive to help them. Right. And they must choose a side. It would be one thing if there was no incentive to help and they don't have to help, but there's no incentive and they still have to vote for the winner. There's no real strategic incentive to voting. Listen carefully, okay? Uh, all right. This is what's going to happen. If uh, you put two in, I'm not going to match you. Well, because I'm putting two in, you're putting two in. All I'm doing is hurting myself by giving up two ravens for nothing. Yeah. Either way, all you're doing is hurting yourself and putting two ravens right. in. Right, but mm -hmm. if I win <laughs> my vote, I get a... Nothing. Yeah, I get to not be annoyed <laughs> by the fact that I back the loser. And that's worth okay. something to me. Okay, if that has value. Right? Okay. <laughs> I obviously couldn't see what the other players had in their hands, but I doubt that even if I could have seen everything, I would have thought, oh, wow, so-and-so is really ahead, so-and-so is really behind. Well, you get most of the information up front because when your negotiating rounds happen, all the cards are face up and everybody starts with the same deck. So if you're keeping track of it, you can tell most of the cards that are in each person's hand. Right, except yeah. those random pulls, you, you can track it. Yeah, you know you know what the other players are going for. You don't know if they achieved it because of the random pulls. All right. Well, actually, I think an important strategy in the game is to make people think you're not going for a strategy by um, putting out a card it that's actually important to your strategy during one of the negotiations just to make people think that, oh, you're not really trying to collect them. If you're trying to trick somebody by putting on a card you need, and then you decide, you know what? I want that card. They take it. Yeah. You can't stop them. And then you're screwed your whole strategy up for no reason. 
you basically have to choose your strategy on your first turn and stick with it because there's no time to change to change streams in the second or, or last round and suddenly want to go a different direction. Sure, there's only three rounds, but you actually get to act during every negotiation. With there could be, let's say, in a five-player game, a three-round, there could be up to 15 different negotiations through the whole game. The incentive to negotiate seemed a lot less in this game. I edged Evan out of first place by the slimmest of margins, I think, that could have been done, 25 to 24. And I don't ever remember thinking any single player anywhere along the way was running away with the game. I mean, did anyone ever think that they were... uh, while they were playing, that they were solidly in first place or last place? I thought I was solidly in first place because on one of my random pulls, I randomly pulled a card out of Ed's hand and it was the Castellan, which was the card I needed. It doubled my Ravens from my point total from 12 to 24. And I'm like, well, that's that then. But I lost it. I stopped paying attention to Joe to my detriment. Yeah, that was a good play for you, uh, Evan, because I actually had three Castellans in my hand at that time. Oh, you had three of them. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and right off the bat, Ed put me and Celeste at odds with each other going for the same strategy. Right, I wonder why I did that. <laughs> oh, I know exactly why you did it. But the sad part is I didn't ha- really have a choice. There was no other available you, strategy on the board at that time. You didn't have to take the cheese I left on the plate. <laughs> or I could just starve. There aren't that yeah. many strategies, right? There aren't that many card options. Gosh, I cannot imagine playing this with more than, you know, five players. And this thing goes up to nine? It actually might help with nine players, though, because then you know everybody's splitting the actual victory conditions. Okay, yes. All right. You know, I did change my strategy in the middle of the game. Oh, really? You did? I was going for knights and princesses at first. but And then you saw me and Celeste fighting over them, and you said, that's used up. But, Joe, your turn hadn't come yet. You hadn't played an actual card until you realized that that battle was happening, and then you decided to not enter the fray. And then I put in an extremely sweet deal of coinage and trader so I could get a princess and a knight. And then it was just settled. Mikey and I, our feud was so flagrant at the table <laughs> that pretty much everybody else flew under the radar. Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry, Joe and Mike, but you're pretty much out of the running. Even if I threw raiders I on like, I like Ed's knight, but it's missing something <laughs> that Evan has. I like Evan's. But it's missing that little kick. So she's, she basically has. wants that princess and knight combo. And I'm trying to use that to my advantage. Everybody focus on this too. Maybe well, no one will notice that I'm trying to collect a lot of Castellans. And as many uh, of those uh, useless feuds as possible. So, Joe, that could be one of the reasons why you won, not to diminish your victory, but you've got Celeste and Mike battling for the same stuff. You've got me and Ed battling for the same stuff. That left you alone for your for your traders and coins. Well, that's how I got one of Joe Castellans, because he put his Castellan out, and I wanted it. So I said, well, I know he wants the trader, so I'm going to put that out. Um, as far as the look of the game, everything is very well done. The box looks good. The cards are nice quality. Uh, the art is solid, but it, I found it a little dull. Well, I think it's only dull in the fact that it's standard now. We've seen so much fantasy art now that it's like this doesn't necessarily stick out in the crowd. But I think it actually looked good. I liked their symbology, actually. I was more attracted to their symbology because it felt more original. However, they didn't have enough meaning. The house symbols did have a purpose in the game, and I wish they had highlighted them a little bit more. Well, if you read the rule book, you could have actually gotten two pages of lore on those houses. Oh, color text. I wonder if it's any good. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Actually, Ed, can you read one of the house's color texts a little bit? 
House Red Tower, settled among the rocky storm rack coast and craggy mountain passes. The domains of House Red Tower are forbidden. Although the house lands are well defended, the terrain also ensures that the Red Tower commanders often have difficulty moving their forces at speed. So, Mikey, what would you think of that color text? <laughs> that was the greatest piece of literature I've ever been exposed to. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, come on. None of that showed up in the art of the game. They just said in that color text that the red uh, house has trouble maneuvering their troops, but that has no meaning in the game. No, everybody starts off with the exact same cards and there's nothing on the even the pictures to indicate that you're playing that house. Yeah, it doesn't immerse you. I like uh, a couple of the alternative rules they suggest. And one of the, the popular ones on the forums was the hidden agendas where everybody starts off with one random guest. Oh, guest pile. Yes. That's the other thing. There is a whole other pile of cards here called guests. Yeah. You, if you play the knight and win your victory, you have the option of drawing a guest card. I found the guest cards very interesting, and it's a shame that you hardly ever get to see them and hardly ever get to play with them. Well, that's why I think that optional rule is very nice. Now everybody starts off with one card that you don't know what they're doing with it. Right. It's hidden information, so they might not know what strategy you're going for because they have a different piece of hidden information in their hand. That's much better. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Game of Crowns. Joe, how about you? I like the game because even though you have to commit to a strategy to have a chance at winning... I believe you can take your time about it a little. Uh, the game is on the shorter side with good replay value. Dig it up. Evan, how about you? Well, it's a neat game. I wasn't immersed by this medieval feel, but the mechanics were decent enough with a bit of a gambler's feel to it. That's enough for me. I'll dig it up. Mike? I can think of a bunch of house rules or changes to the game that would make it way more interesting. And for that reason, I, I've got to bury it. Ed, how about you? The concept is interesting. Everybody starts with the same hand. It's up to you to beg, bow, and steal the victory points you need to win. But I couldn't shake that feeling that something was just missing. I'm almost willing to keep this above the ground, but I'm going to bury it. Yeah, there's not that much space on my shelf for medieval political negotiation card games. <laughs> so after just having played another version with the game King's Struggle, I found Game of Crowns seemed to be to be a sterile promontory in comparison. So I will bury it. Ed, where can you find the game? I've seen this game online and at hobby stores for about 10 to 30 bucks, depending on where you see it. If you have thoughts about Game of Crowns, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up is Kung Fu Samurai on Giant Robot Island, designed by Stephen Tassie, published by Z-Man Games in 2003. Number of players, 2 to 6, ages 13 and up, runtime 20 to 40 minutes. All right, when we shine the light on this find, Evan, what were your first thoughts? I know a person from another podcast I co-host who would go nuts for this game. Just saying. I mean saying. <laughs> Ed, how about you? B-movies are fun because they are so bad. And Mike? What's more fun than clumsily mashing together a bunch of tropes? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Joe? If you've always wanted to be that B-movie director who sends a bunch of scab stuntmen to go mess with the adjoining lots, sound stages, and casts of your rival directors, this game is for you. Yeah, the first step to this game is throwing down random cards with campy words on them that we all have to cobble together into a movie title. I was ready to butter up the popcorn, but before rules must come, Evan speaks them. This is a card game. Each player is dealt a hand of cards, and there are different kinds of cards. Characters, creatures, locations, special effects, and so on. You use your cards to make your own movie, but beware... Your opponent's creatures can kill your characters. The object of the game is to have the most points in your movie when the roll credits card is played or the draw deck runs out. So the concept of the game is we're building a movie with our cards using location cards, character cards, prop cards, creature cards, and special effects cards, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of different types of cards to keep track of. Yeah, I mean, it is. Not, I mean, not only there are a lot of kinds of cards, there's also a lot of information on each card. Like oh, So much information. They slap like multiple keywords on your character cards. In a normal game like Magic the Gathering, your card has a trait like Elf Warrior. So things that affect elves or warriors will affect that card. But in this game, uh, you get the awesome opportunity to have to look up the rules every five minutes because (laughs) some of your traits do stuff like special abilities oh it's crazy to track i mean geez (laughs) and maybe in a game that wasn't leaning into the humor then maybe that amount of rules would be okay i don't think it's that much to keep track of other than the math maybe yeah, trying to add up your math every round started to get a little tedious. Yeah, there were like 10 things on your board at one point where you have to add up, okay, this guy is a five, plus this is happening, so he gets plus two, and then I have this enchantment thing on here that gives him another plus three, and all of my guys who have this trait get another plus two, and you're like, by the time you're done, you're just bored. You spend five minutes figuring out what your attack number is, and then you go through all that rigmarole, you go ahead, you do your big attack, and then your opponent has one card that nullifies the whole thing done. I mean, it's it's so (laughs) anticlimactic. Well, even if you win that fight, the opponent just takes one of their cards off, right? One of the characters would have to go away. Unfortunately, the cards appear to be completely unbalanced. There seemed to be a dire shortage of characters in the deck. I drew so many special effects and location that I usually had no characters, no, no actors in my kung fu movie. I mean, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of yeah. kung fu fans will tell you they prefer these movies to have characters, at least in a few of the action scenes. Well, that's why I couldn't find any location. You had them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I had the police station. I had the bamboo forest treetops. I had the... Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Ed had a location. He played it on me, and it gave everything minus five on my side. I have a soft spot for B martial arts movies already. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they were making you know light of it and leaning into the tropes, I really enjoyed that concept. They had a good amount of humor in this game, mainly in the quotes. The name of the characters or the locations, it all fit the theme very well. With the font size and the art, they didn't have room to, you know, to have a long quote in there. And they were all short and quick and punchy. Yeah, the art and the graphic design was, um, yeah, a little uneven. Sloppy. Maybe. 
early 2000s and and stuff like that when they were just building these types of theme games you did see dodgy art right where the art was inconsistent <laughs> quality yeah. and this game is no exception there's a lot of inconsistent quality to the art some is better than others i did like their little film strip frame around all their pictures on their cards that was cute it made you feel like it was a movie it was good i think it's important but back to the comedy, I, I want to give you an idea of the comedy, right? So there would be a special effects card called 10,000 Bullets. And the quote on it would be, there is no Chinese word for reload, which is funny. <laughs> yeah, if they're carrying around a six shooter and they shoot 15 times and they <laughs> right. say reload. Right. And, you, and another card, setting card said Tokyo Skyline. And the quote was, nice looking place, burn it to the ground. <laughs> they buried good comedy in thick, overdone mechanics, which is really unfortunate. Wasn't I supposed to be role-playing a hero in the scene of a movie kind of during all of this? I got so tied tied up in trying to win the game as opposed to feel the game. Yeah, I think you're supposed to be the director. Yeah, you're the director. You're making a movie. Your movie title is the same as everybody else's movie title, I guess. You know, it's confusing. I had more fun in this game making the name of the movie up in the beginning. That was the most fun. Yeah. And it was the most on-theme portion of the game. There we go. Trouble. Oh, there, there we go. Trouble. <laughs> there we go. It's a B movie for Yeah. It's supposed to it's sound. It's not even a D movie. All right, go for. ahead. All right, big, genius. Big trouble at Mr. School's Deadly Chinese Kung Fu Dojo. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Well, I remember playing some of the other B movie games in this game series. And I played them before and I had a lot of good time. And I think it's because we all made a great effort to tell stories while we were playing the cards. And so it became about um, telling good stories rather than winning the game. And I think that's why I had such a good time playing the game then. Oh, that's interesting. Did they come later than this game? Uh, some of them earlier, some of them later. And they, have, they even have sequels. I mean, they have a whole bunch of B-movies. They uh, mentioned Scurvy Musketeers from the Spanish Main, Berserker Halflings from the Dungeons of Dragons, and Cannibal Pygmies <laughs> in the Jungle of Doom. <laughs> they even have sequels for some of their B-movies. Like Grave Robbers from Outer Space and Grave Robbers 2, Skippy's Revenge. I wonder, though, you know, the rules in this game are so random. Do you think we failed to embrace the random, and is it on theme? I was hoping that they were using the swinginess of the game to show how wild these things should be, but I'm not sure if they did it on purpose or not. I think that was what they were going for, but it's just sometimes... You spent too much time adding things. Yeah, they needed more time to strip it back down, I think, you know, after they threw in all the cool stuff they wanted. If they boiled it back down to, like, the heart of what makes the Kung Fu action theater thing so funny and fun, it, they would have been better off. I don't think there, there's so much problems in a complexity rule, but sometimes there was a little bit of ambiguity there. Okay, explorers, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Kung Fu Samurai on Giant Robot Island. Mike, how about you? I feel like I would have been frustrated if I wasn't so bored. <laughs> so, bata matsile, translation, bury it. Evan? Well, I admit I, I might not be the best person to judge a game like this. I'm not big into the uh, old kung fu genre, so don't take my word for it. But if you do take my word for it, then bury it away. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, how about you? <laughs> I recall having a lot of fun when I played Cannibal Pygmies in the Jungle of Doom. So I was surprised our play of Kung Fu Samurai on Giant Robot Island seemed to lose steam after playing the first round. 
uh, Kung Fu Samurai is well-themed and the quotes are fun to read. I'd give this and other B-movies another try based on past experience, but based on this play, i bury it. Joe? I'm burying this for now, but I'd like to revisit another card game of the B-movie series where we combine at least two of them together at once. Maybe we'll do so in our podcast sequel to this episode. Wahahaha! <laughs> yeah, I might have had fun just flipping through the deck and reading the quotes. I thought they were considerably more clever than the game design. Mm. So I will bury this shuffle and have to. <laughs> Joe, where can you find it? Uh, there are listings for it and for Cannibal Pygmies in the Jungle of Doom, both at $50. So it seems to be getting rare. I got mine at the WBC auction for the, the high, high price of $5. <laughs> oh wow so game convention auctions might be the place to get some of these uh older games i've also saw some in the secondhand market for about 10 to 20 bucks oh good if you have thoughts about kung fu samurai on giant robot island let us know we are at which game first on twitter facebook and instagram and that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or review and share, share, share the podcast. It really helps us grow. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Follow us on your favorite social media site. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Happy gaming, explorers. Happy gaming. And your kung fu is not as good as mine. Wintertime is arriving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go have Our a snack. Our product is never touched by human hands. <laughs>